Welcome to Level Up, the podcast that's dedicated to the higher education community that brings you countless stories of employees, students, and the faculty's journey in this remote world we live in. We will explore the many adversity that each one of us experience and share our story to inspire and inform. This is your host, Dr. Leland, a serial educator, an opportunities designer, and a compassionate leader. Hello, Level Up listeners. This is your host, Dr. Leland. Today, I have a very special friend with us. Her name is Heidi Kirby. Heidi, welcome to Level Up. Hey, thanks for having me. So, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So, I got my career start as a college English professor And that happened after I graduated with my undergrad degree in English and found it very difficult to find a job other than in retail at the time. And somebody said, hey, if you can go back and get your master's, you can teach college. And I thought, that sounds cool. I always really liked all my college professors. So that's exactly what I did. And I was teaching as an adjunct at like four or five different schools in my area If any of your listeners have ever done the adjunct shuffle, they know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) And it was during that time I went back to school for a master's in education and curriculum and instruction to kind of go the full tenured professor route. And then I had my son and realized the higher ed schedule was not for me with daycare and everything else. Like I needed just a regular nine to five. And during my education program, I had learned that instructional design was a thing people did for money, a career path, right? And so I started a PhD program in instructional design and technology when my son was six months old. Yeah, he'll be turning six in September. And hopefully I will defend my dissertation before he turns six. So that's that's the goal. Um, but a couple semesters into my PhD program, I thought, wow, I've really been doing all of these things that I need to do with like a little bit of upskilling needed here and there, like learning the tools, learning a lot more about visual design. That was not my strong suit at all. And, you know, just kind of taking some time to upskill and then saying, okay, let's go ahead and start applying for instructional design jobs before I'm done with this PhD program. And I was able to land my first ID position with NASA of all places. And so that was awesome. It was, I spent about a year there and then I kind of just hopped around to different corporate jobs in ID and realized that the, the day-to-day design work didn't light me up as much as some of like the problem solving and strategy and things like that. So I really started gravitating towards more of the leadership and management roles and just kind of made my way into that through customer education. So I still lead a team that has instructional designers on it, but more on the the management side of things now. Wow, that's awesome. Now, for someone who's thinking, you know, I've been a teacher, I really love being an ID. Where do you think they should start? Like, should they go for, because most jobs that I've seen for instructional design, right, they want you to be experienced already. But most teachers, I feel like they're not 100% experienced, but some of them are have been this me, you know, how do they go yes. about that? Yeah, so there's a lot of kind of business pieces that we're missing 
when we're educators, right? Like we know how to create a learning program. We know how to put together learning objectives. We know how to, you know, do curriculum and have deliverables be engaging and, and facilitate, right? Like all of these different skills that are very necessary, but we are missing kind of the, what does a business run like? Because business and higher ed are totally different. They're just two very separate entities. And like, how do organizations run? What does their structure look like? How are business goals decided on? And what can we do that's not necessarily instruction that can help solve those business problems? Because a lot of times our default is like, oh, we need a course, right? Or, oh, we need a, an e-learning on this when, you know, it could be something totally different that it's, no, we just need a job aid over by the printer, right? Like, it's so learning about performance consulting and human performance technology is like one of the first areas that I tell people to just start Googling and researching because it does have the, those aspects of how do we solve organizational problems? The other thing for me personally, and I think it will, will depend on the person, but graphic and visual design were never my area. Like, yeah, it, it just was so, <laughs> so bad. So I had to spend a lot of time learning more about graphic design and um, Robin Williams, the non-designers design book is always a really great one for just like the basics, the very basics that I like, that I was definitely lacking. So those are the two areas. And then also a, a great way to figure out your areas is to just start looking at the job descriptions for the roles that you want and figuring out, okay, I've got this, 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 and this, but this I've never heard of before. This doesn't sound familiar to me. And then kind of create your own personal professional development plan based on the job descriptions that appeal to you. Hmm, that's actually a really good idea because I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, I can do all of these right now. I can do design, I can do this, but like, <gasps> I'm kind of scared to step out. Like I've always been managing for over 25 years. I've managed people up to 200 people in my team. Yeah. And I've been teaching for 10 years, both on ground and online. And I've owned my own business, but I really have a passion for creating a class that fills the gap between theory and practice, right? You yes. know, you've seen like theory, theory, theory. And then the students are like, how are we going to get a job when we don't have that skill? Because we have a lot of hard skills on IT now. We can do this and we can do Java, and you know. But then the organization that I'm looking at needs a soft skill. Like, how do we get that soft skill, right? It was never taught in class. And so I'm, I'm big on filling that gap of learning about yourself and what you're lacking of, like a SWOT analysis of yourself, right? And so that's why I want to do that for as an instructional design, but I'm so confused, like, okay, where do I find this? And I look at all the jobs, I'm like, I could do this, but are they actually looking at my CV? That Because my CV probably is crap when it comes to instructional design. Like, seriously, I'm looking, I'm like, I wouldn't hire me either, you know what I mean? But I know that I can do it, so I'm sure there's people out there who's like, you know, I want to do instructional design, but I don't know where to go. So those tips that you provided are very great and it's doable. It's like three on the list, even though they're, they're in, you know, very detailed, it, even just one of that graphic design, that's a big thing. You will spend it hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What is it that you like the most about being instructional design versus leading a team? Um, I think what I like about each is probably the same thing and it's 
the like strategy slash problem solving aspect of it, right? Like you're given, you're given a problem, which usually comes to you in the form of, Hey, we need a course on X, right? And like you, you become the pizza shop if you, if you allow it to happen, right? And somebody says, Hey, I want a course with pepperoni and sausage and onions on it. Um, and can you have it done in two weeks? And you're like, hold on, wait a second. Is this really what you need? So what is it that you like the most between instructional designer and leading instructional designers? Yeah, so I think the thing that I like the most is actually shared between the two, right? And so it it has to be like the strategy problem solving or needs analysis aspect of it, right? You are you know, just minding your own business and the business comes along and typically they say something like, we need a course or we need a training on X, right? And if you allow yourself to be the pizza shop, you just go, oh yeah, you want pepperoni and sausage on that? I'll have it done in two weeks. But if you're really good at it, you say, okay, hold on a second. Why do you need this, right? Why do you, why do you need a training? Why do you think that it needs a training? And you start asking the questions and you start creating a strategy and you start solving the problem and you start looking for, you know, what is the best way to get from point A to point B and to fill that gap? And the answer is not always e-learning and is not usually in a course, right? <laughs> it's more like mind mapping, like, okay, this is your problem. It's sometimes I think what it is, is that they see the symptoms, not necessarily the root cause of the problem. Yes. And so they think, oh, we'll just put a Band-Aid on it. It just hurts a little. When really there is a problem deeper than what you're saying. So that's actually pretty good. Now, now that you are leading other IDs and other LNDs, what do you think? I mean, what do you look for in terms of their expertise to be in your team? That's a great question because I've hired three instructional designers in the last year. And so I've gone through tons of resumes and tons of portfolios. And I'll say that in terms of like the the formalized job search process, the resume is the most important thing. I know there's so much out there on social media that talks about the portfolio being the end all be all, but I'm not looking at every candidate's portfolio. I'm only looking at the candidates' portfolios whose resumes I think are good enough to then look at the portfolio because the resume is the first thing that I get. And so if the resume is not matching the job, if I'm looking at your resume going, are you sure you're applying for an instructional design position? There's nothing on here that even says that you're interested in instructional design, right? So the resume is the most important part, but your portfolio is also important too, because that showcases the work that you do or have done. And it's important for me to see kind of what your process is and what your output is. One of the important things in terms of expertise is that candidates can talk about their design process. They can talk about those needs analysis pieces. They can talk about how they collaborate with others because the instructional design role is so collaborative. I would rather have a person who is terrible at creating e-learning courses, but is a good collaborator and communicator because like the e-learning piece I can teach, the collaboration piece is a lot harder. You know, I'd rather have a a nice, terrible graphic designer than a mean, awesome, talented storyline expert, right? And so 
having those soft skills is really important. And then having just some kind of experience. And I know that this is so hard for a lot of teachers who are trying to get into instructional design is that, like you said, they don't have that practice, even if they've done a grad degree program or something mm -hmm. like that. But you can create your own problems to solve in your portfolio, right? It can be your own problem. It can be something for a local organization that you volunteer for. Who's going to turn down free training if you're offering them, you know, nonprofits in your area? Who's going to turn that down, right? I know people who've done things for their religious organizations or, you know, their local animal shelters that they work for. And they go in and they find a problem to solve. And then they kind of document that in their portfolio. And it provides at least something for the hiring managers to look at to say, oh, okay, you have done the thing, right? Mm, okay. So that's what I tell my kids to go to college. I'm like, you need a passion project. GPA is not good enough anymore. Having to be in clubs is not good enough anymore. What actually makes you unique? What are you passionate about? What is burning about you? And my daughter, she looks at me like, I like this and this and this. I'm like, okay, what have you done with it? She's like, nothing. So how do I know you're passionate about it? So I think that's a great idea. Having to create your own and problem your own solve, uh, solve your own problem through other organizations for free. I like that. Thank you for that. Um, what type of training do you provide to IDs or even your team to ensure that the hard skills continue, like graphic design, but also the soft skills is continuously existing in that collaborative work? Yeah, so I think it's really important as the L&D leaders. My dear friend Sarah Canistra always says that learning and development teams are often the cobbler's kids without any shoes. And like we are the last ones to do professional development or prioritize that because we're so we're typically so reactive to what's going on in the business and trying to crank out courses and and do all these things. But we're responsible for teaching the rest of our organization in many in, in many cases. Right. And so for us to not have those skill upskilling and to not have that professional development just doesn't make any sense. Right. And so if I'm leading at an organization, there has to be kind of a twofold plan, right? Like professional development as a team that's supported as a team. So for instance, my current company is paying for our entire team to go to DevLearn, the learning conference, learning and development conference in October. In Ireland? And so, no, De I'm sorry, DevLearn. It's D-E-V. Oh, DevLearn. I thought yeah. you said Dublin. I'm like, in Ireland? Are we going to go, honey? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> okay. Let's go to Dublin. Yeah. yeah. Let's do that instead of DevLearn. No, <laughs> DevLearn's in Vegas. But, you know, as a whole team, we do things like that. Or we do, like, free webinars, too, right? Because we can't always break the budget. We can't go yep. to conferences every quarter or whatever, right? But, like, we can all log on to this specific webinar and have like, we'll do like a, a live tweet in our Slack channel of like what we think and what's going on. And so having those, those experiences as, as a group, but then also making sure everyone has their own personal development plan. What stretch projects are people working on? What, you know, like people on my team are learning web development because we're a tech company. So they're right. upskilling in that. And then of course, you know, like the software tools that we use, like 
TechSmith comes with their own training for all of their new different versions of the software. So we just make sure that we give people time to, to do those things too. And as an organization, we also have LinkedIn Learning. So we have different options there for what each different person kind of wants to pursue. That's kind of nice. Actually, that's more of an organizational culture that most yeah. people would wish to have, right? Yes. Rather than like pay on your own. And if you pass and you give me cert, I'll pay you back. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yes. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. My, my least favorite uh, professional development experience was when I asked for funds when I was an ID to go to a conference. And my boss's boss said, we really like people to invest in themselves. And I was like, but I'm paying tens of thousands of dollars for my PhD and I'm just asking you for 1500 <laughs> Yeah, yeah, to to actually do this job that you asked me to do right. 10 times better, like seriously. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to invest in your people. Yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot. Now, as a leader, what is important to you? I think that it's important that there's trust. I think that that's probably the number one thing for me um, that I've seen as a leader, um, that I value just like at my core is that my team trusts me and that I trust them. I'm super transparent. There are probably things that I've told team members that I've heard organizationally that other leaders aren't telling their team, but I really believe in being transparent about, you know, conversations that are happening, risks that are happening and things that are going on. But like the trust also has to go both ways. And if your team trusts you as a leader, you find out about problems before you find out from someone else in the organization. And there is nothing like that, right? Like I hear, I've heard so many horror stories of people who have been approached that, oh my gosh, this person on your team's not doing their job. They're not, you know. And I haven't had to experience that because my team members are always super open with me and they let me know if they're hitting any obstacles and I'm able to help them avoid those awkward situations. And it's just, it just helps so much with performance to have that trust and to have that, you know, trust leads to the psychological safety, right? And so people aren't afraid of making mistakes. And so they give it their all. They take some risks, right? And so I think that's probably the most important thing. Yeah, they feel that belongingness. Like, I belong yes. in Heidi's team because she trusts me. And I think it's human. Like, we have this innate thing that we feel bad. If someone trusts us and we do something wrong, we literally just, like, for me at least, I'm like, I freaked out. I'm like, okay, I don't want to let them down. So I'm just yes. going to tell them, you know? Like, it's that mental thing that we have to go through but for the most part most people are like that so I like that very much but how do you look at leadership when it comes to like your team okay now your team trusts you they give you you know some problems like what are the day-to-day -day leading a team is like for you know LDs and IDs yeah so I think that this really comes from my former manager and now very dear friend from NASA, LaToya, um, she always would just like physically cringe a little when I'd call her my boss. And she's like, I'm not your boss. I'm your teammate, right? And as she, she very much didn't like that hierarchical relationship, right? And she very much was like, no, we help each other, right? And I think that that is... Um, the way that I approach leadership too, and that I'm there to 
help you pave the way for what you need, right? If you are running into trouble, if your subject matter expert's not responding to you, if the process is broken, if your software is not working, my goal, my job is to move those things out of the way for you. And also to like tell you what the path is for it, right? Like how do you someday take my job when I move on, right? Like that's, that's another thing that I've taken from another manager who's a great friend now, Jen, um, who from the very beginning was like, I will train you. If you want to be a leader, I will train you to take my job and I will move up, up into my position one day. So having that, you know, moving up and I think it's, it's, it's almost like when you have kids, right. And you want your kids to like have a better life than you had. <laughs> right. It's like, you want the people on your team to eventually be leaders and so, you know, you have to, you have to treat them as human beings, right? Yeah. And I think that's the thing is you actually can separate great leader versus okay leader versus toxic leader so quickly. I think the ones who are threatened by their, by their teammates, to me, you're not going to have a good team because a right. good team is always going to be like, let's go together. Right. And I like the flat too and, and surface because I actually created a class called managing your boss. But if you go, yeah. but you go in that class, it's actually about managing yourself because mm. you cannot manage up when you don't know about yourself. If you don't know your learning style, you don't know your communication style, conflict management, your, your, you know, personal traits, how are you supposed to lead someone or actually approach someone? You don't even know how to communicate with them, right? So that's yeah. my class is all about. It's like manage yourself first before you manage somebody else. Yes, but it's that. it's more of like, I guess, a marketing thing. Like, hmm, how do you manage your boss? And then when they go in, you're like, oh, I'm managing myself. Because you can't manage up if you, you can't manage yourself. That's all, right? Or yeah. manage down. And it's always top down. Um, so thank you for that. Now, here's a... I think the most important question for the day, like how do you switch from higher ed to corporate? Yeah, so it, it's, here's the thing. I see there, there's such like a toxic hustle culture on social media, right? And as someone who has a LinkedIn following and my podcast and my newsletter and all these things where I'm like creating content for social media, right? Um, I'm very, it's very visible to me that there's very much this like, go hard, you can have a job in 30 days and you can make a hundred grand in an entry level role. And there's just all these things being sold to people. And it's so hard and it's so, it's so, it, it bursts so many people's bubble when they start to have the experience and it's normal, but they just don't realize that it's totally normal because of all the hustle culture that they see on LinkedIn and other social media sites, right? Like it took me um, like three months to find my current job. I left my previous job and I only job searched for three months. This is with like five years of ID experience under my belt, right? And it still took that long, right? To find a good role, to not just take the first one that came along, but to find something that was actually a good fit. And I think not not having false expectations, right? Realizing that it is a process and it's going to take time. And I can't just start applying when school ends in June 
and expect to have a job by August 1st, right? Because I have to have that professional development plan. I had to upskill. Like I said, my graphic design skills were atrocious. I had to get better. I had to stop using the first storyline thing I ever created in my portfolio because it looked like the first storyline thing I ever created. You know, <laughs> I had to refine those skills and get better. And also, um, one of the things that I really liked about my PhD program is we did get some of that practice. Like we were partnered with nonprofits to create um, learning materials. And so we actually had like that hands-on experience that we could put in our resumes and talk about and things like that. So, um, you know, just, just taking all of that, putting it all together, learning as much as possible. My son, like I said, was a baby when I started my PhD program. So, and when I started my career shift, and so I would be sitting in his nursery with him, he's playing with his toys and I'm listening to L and D podcasts, right. And I'm upskilling and I'm doing my classes. Like my first three semesters of my PhD program, all my classes were like done from the rocking chair of my son's nursery with him in my arms and my laptop sitting on his little bookshelf. Right. And that's just, that was just how life was. And he was just a little blob. So he didn't know any different. Right. So just realizing that it takes time, but also not, um, you, you can't search for a job for 40 hours a week. You can't make that your full-time job. You have to take some time for self-care and to process rejections because you're going to get a ton of rejections, right? Like that's just, that's just how it goes. You're not going to be the right fit for everyone. Just like everyone is not the right fit for you. And if you're really looking um, for something that's a good shift from higher ed to corporate, possibly government, like I did, right? Like government's not quite corporate, but it's corporate enough, right? That working for NASA was a nice little kind of like segue. Um, also like ed tech companies or tech companies that are a little bit more, they understand education. They understand the K through 12 world because they're serving it, right? And so there's different places or even just if you're able to, if you are, you know, teaching college or something where you have some time to take on contracting roles in the meantime in corporate. So there's so many different ways to do it, but, and you don't have to like, it doesn't have to be this 30 days, a hundred thousand dollar, you know, sprint. Right. I think from what I gathered from you is like, it's a step that you need to take a deep breath and be intentional, but also be yes. open-minded and flexible. Absolutely. Because because when you have a, an expectations, because all of your friends and you've heard it and like you said, it's on social media, everyone's getting it. And then you, you actually have low self-esteem because it creates that because you're like, wait, why is everyone getting it and not me? Like, what is wrong with me? You know what I mean? And instead of doing and comparing yourself to others, it's more like be intentional on what you want. Like you, you're like, okay, graphic design is like my weakness. Like, let me go ahead and get that up, right? And the fact that you're self-aware of what your weaknesses were and actually was intentional in getting it done to a yeah. point where you're like, okay, this is acceptable now. I can, I can do this. I think it's the key. It's like a lot of people want something, but they're not willing to work for it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And some people just aren't able to be 
that self-aware person, right? Like, and that's, that's hard too. But it goes back to what you're saying about like managing up that you have to be able to manage yourself and you have to be able to realize that in any given situation, the one thing that you can absolutely control is how you respond to it, right? Yeah. And I actually teach emotional intelligence, growth mindset, creative thinking skills in there and critical thinking skills, all of uh, nonverbal, verbal and written because those are to me the soft skills that is so necessary because I hire people all the time and I look at their CV. It's like, wow, I can't even do half of this. You know what I mean? Like I look at it and then when you talk to them, they don't have that personality. I'm like, how are you going to go live and talk to 25 students for 10 weeks and them learning from you? You know, like I slow down in my head. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. You know, so you can't, like you said, it's not the right fit for certain jobs. And um, so that's why I feel like there's a gap. And I took all of the things that I know that needs to fill in that soft skill gaps. I'm like, I'm creating a course and it's free for now so I can help people, you know, and get feedback from people of like CJ. I think it's in your head. It was just in your head. And I'm hoping that the feedback is Yes, you're doing something instead of like, mm, no, that was not really up to the line. So this is my first reiteration. I'm like, give me feedback, guys. What what do you want me to change in here? So I like I like your um, ideas of the corporate from that. So thank you for that. Just keeping you down on the ground, you know. Now, your background as a teacher, do you think that helps it to actually switch from all adjunct? Because I have a lot of adjunct friends. I do adjunct mm-hmm. and I do full-time as, as well do you think that helped you from teaching experience to you know education to leading a team absolutely so I think there's a couple of really critical things that have helped me as a leader the first is just leading a classroom I will argue and like the hill I will die on is that classroom management is absolutely leadership and if you are good at managing your classroom you know, you could potentially have have a future as a leader in business because it is on a much smaller scale what you do, right? Like you're, I lead a team of three now. I led a class of 25 before, and that was much more difficult to manage, right? Because I'm walking in there, I'm 22, 23, 24 years old, and I have classes at some of the schools where I taught that are full of non-traditional students. Half of the students are older than me. They know way more about life than me, but here I am. And I would always establish that, again, that trust, that rapport from day one of, you know, you know about life. I'm not here to teach you about that. I'm only here to teach you about English comp (laughs) because that's my expertise, right? And you have to be able to get that team, right? Your class is your team. You have to be able to get them all to be engaged, to be motivated, to do the things that you want them to do, just like a team in business, right? You have the objectives that you have to meet. You have the goals for the class that you have to meet. And they're not afraid of losing their job like your team is. You have a benefit (laughs) when you're leading a team in business that like their job, their livelihood is on the line. Where in college, they're not as worried. If they fail, they fail. That's, you know, their own business. Like, yeah, maybe they spent money on the course or something, but it's a lot lower stakes. And so it's more work for you as the manager of the classroom to make sure that you're leading it well. And the other piece is that as an instructional designer, 
you're also leading projects all the time, right? You're leading that project from the needs analysis all the way through till that whatever it is, is released out to the rest of your organization, whether that's a course going into an LMS or an entire program being rolled out, right? You're the one moving all those pieces, parts. In most cases, unless you have a team or you have a manager who does that or a project manager, but in a lot of cases, the instructional designer is the one who's in charge of that entire learning project and has to work with subject matter experts who aren't on their team or who are VP level, C-suite level. Like you have to, you know, like you're talking about manage up and not even just manage up above you, but other leaders within your whole entire organization. You have to get them to respond to you in a timely way so that you can stay on pace, even though they don't report to you. So the elements of leadership and collaboration and support that you have to garner teaching and working in, in instructional design are just a great runway to leading a team. That's amazing. I hope all the listeners who are teacher out there will get that idea. You're like, I'm going to be the best teacher and manager in my class. I can get, you know, if I want to do instructional design. And I think a lot of us who's been teaching for a while and you see all these changes that the corporate education world that are doing, and it's not possible. It's just not viable anymore. And, and they require student engagement, but you're not giving me the tools I need to engage my students. Yeah. Um, and expect that all of us are in that same level, sometimes kind of get, you know, defeated. And so that's why they see for corporate. But then you're like, well, how do I do corporate? I've been in education for 30 years, you know? Um, so this yeah. is really a good segue for that. Do you have any last thing that you want to give us and bless us with your instructional design and leadership abilities? Yeah, I would just say the most important thing for a learning professional is to keep learning. Yeah, that is true. Continuously improve. <laughs> professional yes, development always, all the way. Yeah. Learn. yeah. Yeah, so I actually wanted to share your information because I believe uh, you have inspired me actually looking at your work as well. And would you like to share as far as like your blog, your YouTube and things like that? Yeah, so if you connect with me on LinkedIn, you can find all of the things that I'm currently working on, which is always a bunch of random things. Um, but I also have a podcast called the Building, Learning, and Organizational Culture, or Block podcast, that you can find on any of the major podcasting platforms. Um, and I have an email newsletter. And if you go to HeidiKirby.com, you can sign up to receive my email newsletter. Perfect. Can you spell Heidi Kirby for everyone? Yes, it's H-E-I-D-I-K-I-R-B-Y.com. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. If you want to be a guest on my podcast or have questions, email me at levelupbydocleland at gmail.com. Docleland spells D-O-C-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D at gmail.com. I will see you soon in my next episode. Stay connected, informed, and inspired. Until next time.